We'll be reading from the book of John this morning, chapter 13. John chapter 13, beginning verse 1. While you're turning, I know that summertime is a busy time. Uh, we have families that are out of town probably about every weekend. We'll have families that are out of town, and this is understandable. Summer's busy, and you get a chance to go on vacation with the kids, especially if you've just got one week. I'm pretty well sure you won't tear off on Friday evening if you can. Get, take advantage of that vacation time. We're going to pray for you while you're on the road, and we understand that that happens. Got the mission trip that's coming up uh, this next Saturday, and we want to ask you to pray for the mission team as they go down to Austin, Texas. Now, the church planter that uh, the mission team will be working with, his name is Andy Comer. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, actually he and I went to seminary together. Let me tell you how much confidence I have in, in Andy. Uh, this was a while back before... Brother Jeremy and I had ever met, and I saw Brother Andy in seminary, and he and I got to talking together, and this is one of those summer classes we were together all week long. I had my eye on him as, uh, as possibly our second man. That's the kind of confidence I had in him, but of course, that was the time before we even started on this building. It was just out of the question, but I have a lot of confidence in Andy. I understand he's doing a good job down there, and I want you to pray uh, for our mission team. Also, it's been extra busy this week and I'm sure that if you got here before this line of cars parked you realize that there's a lot of work been going on right here behind the property. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of land development going on. We've got a lot of stumps pulled up and a lot of brushes piled that already been burned. Uh, and I want to say thanks to the guys who have worked so hard. From time to time, we need different skill sets at Brister. This is the first time I believe we've ever needed heavy equipment operators on such a large scale, but did they ever show up? And it was quite something the other evening when we had brush piles burning. Those bulldozers ran right into the fire to pull brush up and through there, and they piled it up, and it was, I'll tell you what I did. My job was to babysit the bonfires, and so I got a lawn chair. That was my equipment and sat out there and watched those bonfires. I had my fire radio in one hand and my phone in the other. I was ready. That was the safest place for me to be. But now those guys know what they're doing, and by this time next week it will look a lot different. We're thankful uh, to have such a busy place, uh, to have this kind of work going on, and of course the anticipation of what's coming on this piece of property. I'm thankful that Bristol's a busy place, and our sanctuary is going to be a little bit busier because children's church people are taking a break this summer. So we've got more kids in the building, but, you know, we're okay with that. Not only are we okay with that, we just celebrate that because I'm glad that we have folks who care enough about their kids to bring them to church, and you care enough about the church to come. And we can, we can handle a little bit of kid noise in the church. We're okay with that. Thanks for taking the effort to bring your kids to church. Uh, we got a lot of things planned this summer. We want to plan even more, and then when we get the property, even have more things to help minister to our families. Thanks for coming to church. Let's look at John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and they had come from God and was going to God. He arose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, being your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. But if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for church. And we thank you that you bring us together to accomplish something this morning. And we ask that that would indeed be accomplished. In our lives, we ask that your word would do its work. Come and speak to us. Touch our lives. Just do not leave us alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Read through this passage of scripture and it in, introduces an unpleasant mystery. And that mystery has haunted us for 2,000 years. And that is the mystery of Judas. And a lot of times this mystery is so unpleasant as to overshadow the whole conversation. However, one of the most beautiful statements in the Gospels is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. So don't let the mystery of Judas and all those things that we try to unravel overshadow this because you don't want to miss this statement. And this statement is a very short statement. It simply says this in the very end of verse 1. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Now this can be translated both ways and accurately translated both ways as you look at the original language. First of all, you can take the literal English translation. He loved them until the last. Until the very end, Jesus loved them. And we'll see there's a message there. But also the Greek word for the end means the ultimate or to the utmost. He loved them to the very ultimate that anybody could be loved. There is no greater love. He loved them to the greatest extent. It means that too. Both of them can be applied. Both of them are accurate. Now this is a beautiful statement, just standing on its own. But it's even more beautiful when we consider really two things. First of all, it is beautiful that Jesus Christ loves them to the end when we consider the ultimate greatness of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3 concerning Jesus, and John is always 
ready to remind us that Jesus is God. He said, God, the Father, having put all things into his hands. He had come from God and he was going back to God. Now in that little statement right there, he was telling us that the Father, God, had put all things. Now this word things not only means more or less handing him the creation, it says all power. He had given all power to his hands. He had given all things to his hands. In other words, the whole universe was in the hands of Jesus Christ in that room at that time. Now that's amazing that the God of all creation and the Lord of all lords, the maker and creator of everything could love us and could love them. And you see, when we talk about all things in his hands, that included the spiritual world. And that included Judas. There's Judas, this big mystery. So now we ask the question, well, if all things were given to God, Jesus Christ, and everything was put in the hands of Christ, all power, why didn't he just throw Satan out at that particular time and said Satan had put these things into the heart of Judas? He could have just whooped up on him. He could have cleared the room. But instead, he did something different. He chose instead to wash Judas's feet. Because you remember, he's still in the room. And when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, that included Judas' feet. And Judas' feet still had the dust on them from the halls of the Sanhedrin where he had come and gotten those 30 pieces of silver. Now, what's the message here? Here's the message. The message is this. Yes, he could have thrown Satan out. Yes, he could have made Judas change what he was doing. He could have done that. But instead, he chose to love him. He loved him to the end. Yes, even Judas. And he even washed his feet. Now that leaves Judas responsible for what Judas did. And a lot of times we read through this and somehow we think Judas was some kind of robot that wasn't responsible for his action. Judas made his decision. And Satan, of course, provided the idea and the opportunity and the temptation. But ultimately, it came down, who bore the responsibility for Judas' decision? Judas bore the responsibility for his decision. But all the while he was making this decision, Jesus still loved him. And Jesus still reached out to him. And there was Jesus kneeling at Judas' feet and washing his feet. Can you imagine how Judas felt? Here's this man that he had just betrayed, and this man was bestowing on him such an act of love. And it shows the true character of absolute power and authority. You see, absolute power and authority does not have to prove anything to anyone. And so Jesus Christ could kneel at the feet of the disciples and wash their feet because he knew who he is and where he was from. You see, the, we talk about washing feet and we think, yeah, that must have been unpleasant. I'd hate to have to wash people's feet. You know, they got all dusty and muddy and all as they came through the dirt streets of the town there. But you have to know something about the culture. It was brought out 
back when all this thing was going on with Iraq and so forth. You remember when the statue of Saddam Hussein fell and everybody came up and took their sandals off and hit the face of that statue with their sandals? You know the reason for that? In the Middle Eastern culture, to show somebody the bottom of your feet is an absolute insult. We didn't know that. You know, we'd probably go over there and cross our legs and put our foot up in the air and expose the bottom of the sole of our foot to people. And I know we were insulting the whole room. Well, see, the culture in which Jesus lived, the Jewish culture, to touch somebody else's foot was an absolute disgrace. Nobody touched another person's foot except the lowest of servants. And the lowest of the servant in the house would be charged with washing people's feet as they came in the house. Jesus did not institute some ceremony here. This thing was done every day. And every day when you went into someone else's house or your own house and there was a servant there, that servant would come and wash your feet. The reason why is because it was dirt streets. They didn't want dirt all tracked in their house off of your toes. So they would wash your feet as you came in. And the servant would do that. And so here's Jesus doing what not even a disciple of a most noted rabbi. They would do anything for their rabbi, but they wouldn't touch his feet. This was something you didn't do for anybody else. It was an insult. It was beneath your dignity. And here's Jesus Christ. God has put all things into his hands. And he didn't have to prove it to anybody. He could kneel down and wash their feet because he knew who he is. He is God himself. The Father placed all things in his hands. You see, this is a, a key aspect of the gospel message. God, the maker of the universe, loves us. You remember, of course, John starts off with this. In the book of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then down in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John finds that remarkable, that in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, made all things, was with all things, and with God in all things, and then came down here. And you see, that picture is actually shown in that room. It says Jesus laid aside his garment. What it is is everybody had a big outer robe. And we know this was a very expensive robe when we read, of course, the narrative of the cross. It was a very nice robe, a very expensive robe. And then you had, of course, an inner tunic that you wore. Jesus took off his very nice outer robe and put a towel around his waist and took on him the garment of a servant. That's the whole gospel message. Jesus Christ, clothed with majesty and power, with God the Father in heaven, lays all this aside and takes upon himself the form and the flesh of a servant. That's the gospel message. The ultimate greatness of Christ makes this statement that much more telling. He loved them to the end. But now, secondly, if that wasn't enough, we have presented to us the unlovable aspects of the disciples. Now, we, we look into this passage of Scripture and say, that's a beautiful story. We have the, the 12, well, now 11, that had this 
unyielding devotion to Christ. And they were so devoted to him. They had been with him for three years. And they were so devoted to him. And they were so dedicated to live like him. Sure, he would love them. That's not quite the picture we see here. You see, he loved them despite of their unlovable characteristics. Now, what's unlovable here? Obviously, if we just took this at face value, obviously there was some laziness involved. Because everybody walked through that door and everybody saw the basin and everybody saw the towel, nobody stepped up to do the work that needed to be done. What a, what a lazy bunch of slobs. Here's a room of full of men and something needs to be done and nobody steps up to do it because that was all that there was. There wasn't a servant in the room. So nobody steps up. They just, they just stare at it. And you say, well, that's pretty unlovable. Nobody stepped forward to, to perform a common task. And again, it was something that was done day in and day out. Everybody knew that it really needed to be done. But nobody stepped up. Later, we see a, an instance of indifference and unfeeling. And that's when I said, he loved them to the very last. That comes into play when you read the gospel according to Mark. And in chapter 14, Jesus leaves three of them and says, you stay and pray here. I'm going over there to pray. And he comes and he finds them sleeping. And he says, you couldn't watch one hour? Wake up and pray. Well, he goes back and prays again. And guess what? They're still sound asleep. Couldn't, couldn't they care about what was going on with Jesus? As you read through all the gospel accounts, it says as Jesus prayed, he wept and he wailed. He was within earshot of them. They heard him praying, fell asleep anyway. They just didn't care. They just didn't care. They were indifferent. But it gets even more telling when we finally find out why nobody, stepped up to grab the towel. And we find a more unlovable characteristic of the disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 34, it says, there was a dispute among them who would be greatest. Now this is in the upper room. This is Jesus is trying to institute the supper. This is at the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the blood that's being shed. He's talking about the body that's going to be bruised. He talks about all of that. And, and what are they thinking about? They're thinking about who's going to be greatest. Now, bingo. Now we know why nobody stepped up to touch that basin. Because if I'm going to be the greatest of the disciples, I'm not touching that ser the servant's towel. I'm just not going to do it. That is beneath me because I'm really concerned about if I'm going to be greater than all you guys, and I'm definitely not going to wash your feet because I am greater than you are. You see, back in the 60s, we thought Muhammad Ali came up with the term, I'm the greatest. No, every disciple was thinking of that. They thought they were the greatest. So we're thinking, man, those guys were totally unlovable. And it says he loved them anyway. Now, are we any different from the disciples? No. We're not different from the disciples. We have our weaknesses. We have our frailties. We have our unlovable characteristics. Now, and if you're thinking, 
I don't have any unlovable characteristics. Pride is it, okay? So we've, we found it. But we all know that times we're unlovable. And it says, he loved his own that were in the world. But then it says that Father had given him all things. So just because we weren't in that room with the 12, this love extends to us, doesn't it? And we are so unlovable. And so it gives us a summary of the gospel. And here's the summary of the gospel that we want to, to leave here with. First of all, he loves us even in our weaknesses. Now, when Jesus talked to the disciples in the garden in Mark chapter 4, he said, you need to wake up and pray. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And our flesh is weak. We get tired. We get discouraged. We get weary. We get worn out. We worry. We fret. We've got our weaknesses. It's not bad intentions. It's not evil motives. We're just weak. We're just frail. It says, of course, in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 9, we mentioned this in verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were weary. They were tired. Now, he didn't love them despite the fact that they were tired. He loved them because they were tired. He loves us even in our weaknesses. And he loves us because of our weaknesses because he said those people need some loving. And we all need some love. Life wears us out. People hurt our feelings. Sickness and loss and grief. We're weak. We're frail. He loves us even in our weaknesses. And secondly, a summary of the gospel. And we don't want to miss this. He loves us in our ugliness. The disciples had demonstrated some very ugly characteristics. Even at face value, laziness and indifference. But then when we find out they were squabbling among themselves who would be the greatest, that's pretty ugly. He loved them anyway. And he loves us even when we exhibit some ugliness. It's quite interesting. In Luke chapter 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an ugly guy. Ugly in his reputation was not good because he was a tax collector that obviously cheated some folks out of a lot of money. He was ugly. They didn't like him. Jesus comes to his house, and Zacchaeus finds salvation. And Jesus closes the chapter of Zacchaeus and said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, why are we lost? We're lost because of sin, and sin is ugly. And Jesus Christ loves us even in our ugliness and even in our lostness. And he sums it up, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, it doesn't say he came to save that which was lost just when he happens to encounter those people. It says he came, he came to seek them. That means to look them up. And it's quite interesting. That word seek is the same word that's used in Luke chapter 15 when the lady loses the coin and she sweeps her house, tears the house up, searching for it until she finds it. Same word. 
He's looking for the lost, even in their ugliness and even in their sin, he's looking for them. Now, the Greek word for seek, as is mentioned here, not only, of course, we know the intensity of it because the lady was looking for the lost coin, and that was a piece of bridal jewelry. It's like if you lost your wedding ring. But the word seek not only means to look for, it means to desire. The Son of Man has come because he wants that that is lost. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? He loves us even in our ugliness. He desires us even in our ugliness. And he also sums it up when he says this, I have come to call sinners to repentance. I've come to call them. To repentance. Not only maybe perhaps if they happen to find it and hear about it, then I'll accept them. He says, no, I'm calling them. I am issuing the call. I am trying to get their attention. I am looking for sinners because I love sinners. That's all wrapped up in this passage of scripture He loved them to the ultimate. He loved his 12 and he loves you. Because let me back up and reiterate, God has given all things, the whole universe, into his hands. And he came to his own and loved his own to the end. So that that covers you. If you're in the universe, that covers you. He loves you to the ultimate. Have you responded to his call for repentance? We prepare for an invitational hymn. This hits us where we are in all aspects, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, washing the feet of somebody else. What the a heart of a servant. Do we have that heart? Can we leave here with that resolve? Has God shown us some of our ugliness just as we talked about it? Can we come to him and say, Thanks for loving me, even my weakness and my ugliness. And I am going to resolve to be more and to do more because I love you too, Jesus. As we stand and sing.